1: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host Blaine Bartlett and today I have got uh now this is going to date me a little bit here but I've got somebody that I've known since the 1970s on the show. Uh was actually the night I think it was about 1977 maybe 1978 when I first met Russell. And uh his career has been fascinating. Uh, and he's done some just absolutely amazing things with some you know, truly incredible people. And you're going to discover uh, all of that as we go uh, into the conversation today. Um, but just by way of just a real quick uh, bio, and I'm not going to certainly read his entire bio here because that gets real boring real fast. But I do want to just uh, contextualize something here. Um, he's got over 50 years of consulting and speaking work uh, as well as coaching work. As a matter of fact, you can get some free coaching from him when you go to your uh, go to his website, which I'll you know, make available in the show notes, and we'll talk about that. Um, but he's an internationally recognized expert in personal and organizational transformation, and it's the transformation piece that's really important here. Uh, he's literally helped thousands of people around the world create balance and success, and there's been over 2 million people that have gone through programs that Russell has uh, uh, developed and facilitated. Um, he, um, uh, worked very strongly with, uh, John Rogers, uh, the traveler, uh, in the work that John was doing and brought that body of information, uh, into a, uh, pal- uh, digestible form, I guess would be one things I, uh, what, how I would describe it just in terms of how do you transform with this information into a life that is fully lived? And he was head of the Insight Training Organization for years. Um, and I first met him, like I said, back in about 1977 when we were both, uh, I'll speak for myself, when I was embarking on the personal development journey. And I followed his uh, career with uh, actually a fair amount of interest uh, with his work with Ariana Huffington and uh, some other folks. So I want to just, you know, with that you know, kind of monologue, um, Russell Bishop Welcome to my show, uh, The Soul of Business. It is a pleasure, honor, and treat to have you here.
0: Well, thank you, Blaine. I'm I'm humbled myself. Uh, you you are a, such a bright light out there in the world. I'm so grateful to have known you early on and, and see you again today, as you said, just a year or two later.
1: <laughs> One or two. <laughs> it it kind of goes by in a twinkle here, which is fascinating to me. Um, yeah, the only question I usually ask my guests to begin with, and then it opens up stuff, um, is when you hear the term the solo business, which is the title of uh, the podcast, what
0: does that bring up for you? Well, there's lots of layers to that, as I'm sure you know uh, so much better than most. Uh, for me, uh, it, it's kind of like the book that I wrote called From Self-Talk to Soul Talk. And mm-hmm. um, the work I've done with major corporations um, there's always the what that the business is doing and then the how they're doing it. Uh, but when you ask them the why, uh, you know, sometimes it's just limited to shareholder value and growing market share and, and stuff like that. Um, and that's rarely been um, inspiring, shall we say. <laughs> and in today's world, <clears throat> with all the younger folks going, wait a minute, why am I here and ghosting jobs? Uh, Because they feel an absence of meaning, an absence of consequence. So one way to answer the question of the soul of business is, are we making a difference that's worth making? A lot of differences can be made. And at the end of the day, it's like, so what? Yeah. So to me, we're really trying to get down to, um, like a friend of mine at Berkeley has something he calls the greater good science center. Science for the greater good. Are we serving a greater good in some way so that's one way of thinking about the soul of business what's the greater good
1: you know that yeah you know, every that you know, opens up a very interesting window for me anyway um, for me, the purpose of business and you know I got an economics background in you know, my marketing work at the University of Oregon and you know uh, business school I went to in the Netherlands. Everything was organized around the purpose of business being to deliver a product, number one, but also as a consequence of the delivery of that product or service to make a profit. And yeah, top of the hat to uh, Milton Friedman and uh, all that kind of stuff, the purpose of business is to make a profit. I disagree vehemently with that uh, at this stage in my life. I think the purpose of business is to uh, create the possibility of thriving on the planet. So, to your point about you know we're always making a difference what's the difference that, that is really worth making uh, this idea of business uh, the purpose of business being to uplift the experience of thriving on this planet, you know, not just for an individual but for you know, anything that you encounter on the planet, you know even a rock has an opportunity to thrive what How, how does your work actually affect that and I know. I know of your work, but I'm interested from your perspective. How does the notion of thriving actually come into play, particularly with individuals in the work that you've done through the insight work, but also just with the consulting work you've done with businesses? Where does thriving fit into this?
0: That's a wonderful distinction uh, around what does it mean to thrive versus what does it mean to grow expand acquire whatever Mm -hmm. there's lots of people have grown acquired um and there's not a lot of thriving in there unless we're looking at a scorecard on the tangible side so uh you know we often would talk about and i'm sure you know remember this the symbols versus experience Mm -hmm. what am i pursuing in life versus why would i want it and very few people ask that question. So what's the deeper meaning of why I want it? Uh, it's not about if I had more money, then I could buy more things. So I used to ask people, uh, well, what do I do? Well, I help people get what they think they want as fast as possible. So I can ask them, was that it? <laughs> and it really yeah, kind of goes back to a longshoreman philosopher uh, uh, who famously said, you can never get enough of what you don't really need to make you happy. Yeah. And uh, I just shortened that into you can never get enough of what you don't really want. So if we're thriving, uh, there are qualities of experience. And what are those? And uh, sooner or later, they, they delve into things like loving, which to me is a sign of the soul. Mm-hmm. because the soul is naturally loving. So how do I bring that forward uh, into my day-to-day life and then share from that? So if I'm going to share from a, an overflow, is it an overflow of, well, angst and greed and concern, or is it an overflow of caring and consideration um, and uh, compassion?
1: Yeah. Compassion. Yeah. I love that word. Uh and that's kind of the uh idea behind everything that I think business can be uh and this is the whole notion of compassionate capitalism for me. yes, it's a recognition that we're all connected, but then it's the act the, it's taking action on that recognition, and that action, if it's truly steeped in a realization of connection, is always going to be loving in some way, shape or form. yeah, I don't think it can't well it can't not be loving. Because it's me that I'm actually interacting with at the end of the day, or aspects of me you know that are manifested in different forms, but uh you know you know it's Alan Watts's uh, whole point about uh, you know there is no I. <laughs>
0: yeah I was fortunate enough to know uh, a gentleman named John Fetzer who passed away about thirty yeah. years ago yeah. or so. Uh, John was one of the Forbes 400 wealthiest, uh, in America, uh, truly self-made. Uh, and he wrote extensively and spoke extensively on the power of love. And he said that love not only is the secret to personal success, but it's the secret to business success. And so everything he did, which was very mundane in many ways, he, he started the, Uh, chains of radio stations and then cable stations. He owned the Detroit Tigers. I mean, (laughs) you don't look at those and go, wow, there's a lofty thing. But what he tried to do is infuse the businesses and the people he worked with with love. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and then people loved doing the work. So very um, advanced thinking, shall we say, for someone of his generation. Particularly Uh, back then. Uh, when absolutely you know,
1: when in the Fetzer Foundation, uh, there's an interesting story that you told me uh, at one point in time about just kind of the history of the Fetzer Foundation. And well, I was particularly intrigued by the way it was structured to have a uh, finite endpoint And that finite endpoint, the way that that was uh, actually set up, I think, was really you number one altruistic, but also very profound. You know, can you talk a little bit
0: about that? So John Fetzer, an interesting gentleman. Uh, he survived the Spanish flu in 1918, having been told by his doctor and his parents that he probably wouldn't survive the night. He apparently had some kind of spiritual awakening. And the next morning said, well, if, if this has happened, then I'm supposed to be doing something much more significant. And he's going to make his life around spiritual awakening. And so he studied all manner of spiritual pursuits from the Theosophical Society. He studied, studied Edgar Casey's work. He was initiated by the Maharishi into TM. Uh, he was the first student ever of The Course in Miracles. And it goes on and on and on. He was very eclectic. And uh, 20 years or so before he passed away, remembering he was one of the Forbes 400 wealthiest, he uh, donated almost his entire fortune to set up two foundations, the Fetzer Foundation, which was dedicated to exploring the interconnection between science and spirituality and the uh, Fetzer Memorial Trust, which was to promulgate uh his legacy. Now for most legacy means something about your ego. Yeah. But he said, no, I don't want that to happen. So he set the Memorial Trust up to expire. The sunset at the end of 2021, so that it could not become a cult of John, but it was about funding work that helped people find a spiritual path that was to their own liking. Uh, and, you know, that's a very conscious thing to do for sure. Yeah. But uh, I think that's probably what you're referring to, with that it, question it, about John.
1: It, absolutely. Yeah. The. Uh... Because that question of legacy comes up a lot. I'm I'm doing a fair amount of work right now uh, with uh, um, family offices. And these are some of the the wealthiest people on the planet. And they've got offices to kind of administer that wealth. And a family I was working with not too long ago, uh, one of them referenced um, that it seemed to be true in the family that the assets were more important than the relationships Sure. And that was an epiphany for a number of people that were in the family to have that spoken out loud, and in the labeling of it, kind of go, "Oh my God, you know, I think we, yeah. <laughs> if we don't do something right now, that's going to be a, a, a very big problem," because they are always looking at legacy, but the legacy has to do with how is the money, yeah, you know, what's what's the good that the money is doing. If you think of money as purely as as, as energy, sure. What's that energy being transformed into? And that's, I think, where it, it, it's not about creating an edifice. Uh, it's about, you know, what's the difference that makes a difference? What kind of a, what kind of good can this energy be used to generate? Yeah, you know, long term, the fulfillment that I, you know that uh, of a dream that uh, comes to mind here. Um, when you're thinking about yeah, you know, this question, I mean, this question of legacy, I mean, one of the clients I was working with years ago uh, was complaining about you know, his experience and uh, his family and uh, business wasn't going so well, although it was highly successful. And I looked at him and said, you know, you know just make a name up here. I said, Tommy, uh, it, it appears to me that your wallet is fuller than your life right now. And, he, you know, he's, it, and that absolutely stopped him. And he said, you know, that's absolutely true. My wallet is fuller than my life. How do I get myself back on track? And this is where I want to bring in, if I can, uh, Russell, here, from self-talk to soul talk, there's a, there's a way to listen to what wants to emerge that we have become so divorced from that most of us never find a way to hear that voice that can point us in a direction that is fulfilling, not just another iterative step along the way towards what we think success is supposed to be. What sparked your writing of that book? And can you talk a little bit about the content? Because you've got this almost an internal guidance system that you have people tap into.
0: Absolutely. Um, When I, uh, well, if I go way back... Into the 60s, uh, I was inspired. I was studying to be a clinical psychologist. I read Fritz Perl's uh, brand new book at the time called Gestalt Therapy Verbatim. Mm-hmm. And he he had one phrase in there that was so powerful. He said, um, simple awareness can be curative. Now, this was a trained psychoanalyst. And he said and, and spoke often that, he quit doing psychoanalysis because psychoanalysis was a seven year long process. And he said at the end of seven years, all of his patients or clients had well analyzed problems. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what he said, no, let me focus instead on what are you experiencing and what's the, what's the cause of it? Not from some deep seated thing about mommy, but what am I doing right now that's producing my experience? And as soon as a person becomes aware of something that's producing their pain or producing their joy, they have more awareness about how to make choices going forward. So that began this whole process of uh, both introspection and developing work to help people via the asking of questions. I'm not one to provide uh advice about what somebody should do, but questions about what they are experiencing. And one of the early questions I would ask people is, have you ever had a thought you wished you weren't thinking? Well, yeah. Well, who noticed? Do you ever have a feeling you wished you weren't feeling? Well, yeah. Well, who noticed? And that opens the door between what's that loud voice in my head that often is critical, is negative, is, um, well, it's loud. But yeah. there's that quieter one inside uh, that is more profound, but it whispers. And so I need to, so lots of things like mindfulness and whatnot want me to still the mind. And that's a powerful thing. And if I can use that to then transit into, so how do I hear the deeper message coming from within? And now it's really about having a dialogue between the louder voice and the quieter one. Mm-hmm. And if the quieter one is allowed to speak, wisdom begins to emerge and I can learn to make better choices if I want because that quiet one never criticizes. It's simply their being loving.
1: You know, um, I I, I love this because I was reading something today, uh, Neville Goddard. um, And the, the quote that I, and I actually highlighted it today, the ability to feel the unseen the ability to actualize and make real a definite, a definite subjective state through the sense of feeling, is the secret of creation. And you know, that that quote is, yeah, and you know, and you know this as well as I do. Yeah, you know, consciousness, you know, it's kind of bifurcated. There's a you know, there's the consciousness that I'm aware of, and then there's the subconscious. And if I think about it in traditional uh, psychological terms, there's a male in the body, you know, in the female form, you know, the male is, you know, the ideation, and then the female would be the creative manifesting for it. I, you know, the, the, the conscious impresses on the subconscious. And then if it's impressed effectively, and if there's an impregnation, literally. And, it, you know, if it's nurtured, it can grow. So this idea of the soul, and I'll, I'll use that label for it here, the soul talk, yeah. What am I impressing on it? What am I impressing on it? Now, we're always doing it on... I mean, not every one of us is doing it all the time. But most of us, to your point, aren't aware of what we're impressing on that soul, uh, that subconscious that is actually the manifesting force in our lives. And I've got to assume, uh, although I you know, don't have firsthand experience with the work that you've done with uh, this in the insight... But that was a lot of the work at Insight, I think, wasn't it? Was, you know, giving voice and recognition, first of all, but then voice to that soul so that it could actually, you know, speak, speak, not in words as much as form. What does it, you know, what does it begin to manifest? So I know there's a question in here somewhere, so... in your work with your clients, uh, in the work that you're doing today, how do you? And this is a question that you know I wrestled with because it's always different in some way. But generically, is there a way that you actually you know, have codified a, an approach to actually having people begin to do this process outside of the traditional? You know, just be mindful. Let's go meditate. That sort of a thing. Yeah. how do you actually get people to to recognize that there's something there? And then as a consequence of that recognition, as you said here, simple awareness can be curative. They start to move in a different, in a different way as if they're listening mm-hmm. to music.
0: Well, it's, um, it's one of those things that's extraordinarily simple, just often not very easy. Uh, some <laughs> of that, what makes it not easy is that I may have to recognize I've made choices that got me where I didn't want to be but where I am. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks don't want to accept responsibility for that. And as you know, responsibility simply means the ability to respond. So uh, I usually ask profoundly dumb questions to help people with the process. (laughs) And one of the first ones I'll go is, so have you ever had the experience of going, oh, geez, I knew it when something went wrong? And almost everybody has. Mm-hmm. And then, well, have you ever had the opposite when you go, yes, I knew it, when something went well? And most people say, yeah. So, I mean, I did this with a couple thousand people in a room in Amsterdam, and they all went, yes, yes. And I said, well, so what's the difference between, oh, and yes. Mm, and that's one of those dumb questions. What's the difference? Yeah, I paid attention one time and not the other. So that voice is always there. Now see, if if you go to things like uh the Christian Bible says, let those who have ears hear, well, did they mean these ears? Yeah. Or do they mean the spiritual ears? Yeah. Uh, Frances Hesselbein uh is a lovely, lovely woman who passed away last year, but yep. uh I I hadn't seen her in maybe fifteen years. And I was in her Park Avenue office in New York. And uh, she didn't say, oh, Russell, how have you been? What are you up to? What's new? All that stuff. She just looked at me. She said, Russell, what are you seeing that's not yet visible? (laughs) Whoa, what a great
1: question.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, we used to do this work and still do about victim and accountable. Mm Mm-hmm. So if we ask a person to tell a story where they felt victimized in their life and then tell it again, pretending as though they were accountable, most people will see they made choices that they denied having made, but it, yet it set up the circumstance for something to show up. So that's a retrospective look. And the nice thing is that whether it's, oh, God, what, or, oh, yes, or, the, or had a thought and wished I weren't, all of those let people recognize that we're not talking about something that other people do. Yeah. This is something they themselves do. And so now we get to say, well, if it was, oh, or yes, or, oh, my God, or or whatever, what are you, choices are you making right now, this instant, and now project forward, what's the pathway they're leading toward? Because make no mistake, today's choice is on an energetic path somewhere. Yep. You just have to decide if the somewhere is worth getting to.
1: Which goes back to, again, the you know, kind of my label for it is for the sake of what am I even doing this? And most people aren't clear about that. They've got not a, absolutely. They, yeah, they're just kind of automatic. They look in the rearview mirror and go, how did I get here? Uh.
0: <laughs> when I uh, I took on the, the Fetzer Trust uh, as a client uh, about four years before their sunset and I was asked to facilitate uh, a board retreat. And so I asked them, what's the purpose of uh, the Fetzer Memorial Trust? And, you know, so we wrote it up on an easel pad. And at the end of it, I turned the period into two words. I put a comma and wrote, so that, and had them focus on what's the so that. If we did all of that, what would be true? And they had been focused on a bunch of interesting and perhaps useful mechanical things, like getting a book published about John's life. And I said, well, hmm, so you get a book and let's say they sell 5,000 copies. Well, well, how many people could benefit from this knowledge beyond what a book might say? So let's work on the so that. What's the so that? Mm -hmm. And when they finally arrived at, well, what John really wanted to do was facilitate a spiritual awakening. And so, well, how could we do that? And then we turned our attention away from focusing on John, which is what he didn't want and into using the enormous resources to fund uh, a bunch of not-for-profit organizations course in miracles heart math the david lynch foundation theosophical society edgar cayce etc to help them make or employ new choices that would help them expand their work and they hired me to go help them and That was amazing uh, work to be able to do because for every one of them, we did the same exercise. What's your mission purpose? So that, and if they clarified the, so that they discovered whole new avenues of communication, of marketing, of product and service development, et cetera. And we had to get them over the notion of their, they were quote, nonprofit. (laughs) And I said, well, if you keep being nonprofit, you will say goodbye sooner or later Yeah, but we're not supposed to make profits. Well, no, wait a minute. How about if you made a profit with a purpose? Yes. And purpose with a profit. And so if you do that, it it said sometimes no margin, no mission. Mm -hmm. So let's be clear about what the mission is. It's not about what we do. It's about the difference it makes in the world. And now let's fund the difference, not just the activity.
1: Now that we're going to take a real quick break here. When we come back, I want to, Yeah, do a little deeper dive in that fund the difference not the activity and let's see what we can do with that so we'll take a real quick break folks (laughs) listening to Russell Bishop fascinating conversation and we'll be right back the nature of life is evidenced in nature nature grows and all of nature honors the desire to be more to have more and to do more life thrives when it's allowed to grow And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this. And this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not, are we going to die? The question nature asks us to answer is, are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Welcome back. Um, before we took the break, uh, Russell had mentioned something that my ears perked up on. Uh, fund the difference, not the activity. And those of you that are running businesses, which are the vast majority of who's listening to this, um, you're either a solo entrepreneur, uh, solopreneur or an entrepreneur, um, that's a question that uh, would be, I think, useful to consider. And... Uh, <clears throat> This idea of I'm going I'm to marry two concepts here. One is fund the experience or fund fund the difference, not the uh, the activity. Coupled with the uh, you need a you, know, you need a margin to make the mission happen. What because that yeah you know, then that is the dilemma that I find uh, you know oftentimes occurs in business is um, they may start off with an altruistic ideal and. The mission is in the forefront. I mean, and and usually the founder is pretty clear about the for the sake of what that this makes, Yeah, what's the difference that this makes. And at some point in time, the business becomes viable. They've gotten over that funding hump. And now all of a sudden they've got professional managers that come in and they start watching uh, how things are done. Uh, Processes get set up and procedures are put in place. And then the charts come out and the data bank gets set up and, all of a sudden, now the numbers have taken on a significance that they didn't have before. And you know, the decisions now move away from and the choices as a consequence of the decisions, you know, being, you know, moving away from a focus on the mission towards a focus on the profitability, the margin structure. <clears throat> What's been your experience in, in, in trying to, yeah, you know, tame, uh, tame that runaway horse? <laughs> if, if I could use that metaphor, because it will get ahead of its own. Uh, it really, sure. in every experience I've had with businesses that are running you know, full speed ahead towards, you know, we're making money. My God, this is cool. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Well, what about the mission? Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> we're making money right now. Um, what have you seen that actually can facilitate, you know, and I and I think part of that was in your answer to your, you know, how you positioned yeah you know, the work that you were doing with fetzer about yeah you know, so that how do we, how do we get that installed uh, as part of the cultural linguistics in the organization
0: well you've, um, let's see if would this be a six or a seven word answer <laughs> 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 yeah it's um well you know as you know uh, with all the work you've done around conscious capitalism, uh, sometimes the question becomes: So where's consciousness in this pursuit? And so conscious capitalism uh, has a, a, a profound grounding that it in itself winds up being diluted as different folks say, oh, this is just the new corporate social responsibility." Let me say, yeah. I have one.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so the the I think some of the fundamentals are. First, you have to believe in your people and that the people are the source of the energy, the inspiration, the creativity, uh, whatever. I mean, what, maybe roughly 10 years ago, some of the more forward thinking companies started uh, answering consumer complaints via social media by having somebody in the company, not the marketing department, answer the questions. And oh, so you got to have a direct communication with the guy who made the product, who then learned, and then you had a communication, a human being to a human being, not an entity, to this annoying thing called a customer. Uh, so uh, as as we move down that, uh, a little example, uh, which is hardly going to sound like consciousness, and I wrote this in in my first book about. Workarounds in organizations. It's a story about issues that companies face. And I was working with, an, uh, and this is a, a company, by the way. This whole story has been published um, in the in the what we would call in the clear. So mm-hmm. there's no big secrets here. Uh, uh, Northrop Grumman was partnered with another big aerospace company uh, and charged with building what was called the airborne-based laser. And the idea was to put a, a chemical laser in the nose cone of an orbiting 747 that could shoot down an enemy missile. You know, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And a very cool project, you know, and wow, a lot, and, and hundreds of millions of dollars being pumped into it. And the project was years and years and years behind. Um, and the Air Force just was at the end of its rope It said, look, it took you seven years to get the first test done. We need an operational something, and you have to do another test. So you have one year to get the next test done, or we cancel the program. So I gathered together the, the joint teams from the different companies. Now, the companies are cooperating, but for their competitive yeah. position, mm-hmm. their marketplace, their, ROP, their profits, whatever. Um, a delay. What they've called a nonconformance issue. That's engineering speak for yep. something didn't work the way it was supposed to. Yep. Uh, took the average of 72 days to resolve at an average cost of a million dollars a day in delay. And there were over 110 outstanding con- nonconformance issues. So run your numbers. So with all these folks in the room, I asked that simple question. So why airborne based laser? And first they go into the science and they go into this and they go, yeah, but, but why is that important? Well, why is that? Okay. You have to keep asking what's the deeper purpose to that? What's so it peels off the proverbial layer Mm -hmm. of the onion. And finally someone in exasperation state was to keep us safe. Oh, oh, this is about safety, safety for whom everybody now, all of a sudden we could align on safety and then the engineering became the how instead of the focus oh, yes. of what we do and then we argue about who had better engineering one year and two days from the date of that off-site they not only satisfied the air force with a test static lasing me on the ground they actually shot a missile down from an orbiting 747 and, and when, everybody said it was impossible until we focused on purpose.
1: That I love that story. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's that is a very cool story. Safety. Yeah. When we get clear on, you know, and this is my language for, it, but the for the sake of what? I mean, what's the difference that we're actually <laughs> wanting to have in place that creates a difference, not just yes. an activity, not just an action.
0: Russ, where can people find out more about what you're up to? My website, russellbishop.com. Russell has two S's and two L's. Um, and there's some stuff there. Talks a little bit about the personal work, about some of the spiritual alignment. It talks about the profit and the not-for-profit work. So,
1: And you've got a book. I want to be sure that we, uh, you know, again, you know, mention that. Um you know the the migration, and this says I'm butchering the title here, uh, but it's yeah you know, moving away from self talk into soul talk, and it's it's relatively prescriptive in the sense that you know there's a way that you can actually navigate to that self talk or from the self talk to the soul talk. Yeah, uh, it, it's a, folks, it's a great book. Uh, it truly is. I've got a copy of it it's a great book and you need to uh pick that up you can find it on his website as well as amazon for amazon's where i got my copy so um i want to thank you